This is Perspectives, the show where an examination of our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condes Presley. So for the first two weeks of this year, I've done shows and talked about what most media people will talk about the first couple of weeks of the year, and that is the New Year's resolution, eating right, things you need to do to get into shape. Well, we're taking that up a notch to an entirely different plane, new level this week. Our guest in the studio is Malika Bowling. She has a new book. She's updated a book that she had out about five years ago, and this is new called Culinary or Culinary Atlanta. It's a guide to the best restaurants, the best markets, the best breweries, and more. So if you're going to be smart about what you eat, why not be a foodie and eat genuinely well? The book comes out of a terrific website that Malika's going to tell us about, Romalicious. It used to be called something else, and we're not even going to mention that because we don't want you looking for that. Romalicious is what we want you to check out, and the book we also want you to check out. And we just want to say hello and welcome to Malika Bowling. Hi, thanks for coming in. Hi, Condice. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm excited to talk about my book. I'm excited to have you talk about your book, and I'm also now excited, as soon as we're done, to go chapter by chapter, uh, restaurant by restaurant, and just uh, make an eating fool of myself because I do enjoy a wonderful meal. So, um, again, as I said in the setup, the book was born out of your blog, but how did you how did you end up writing a restaurant blog or a food blog have you always been a foodie i've always been a foodie um the the funny thing is that uh, growing up uh we were raised my brother and i were raised by my father who is not a foodie at all um my mom passed away when we were children and so he raised us by himself so you can imagine with work and and trying to get dinner on the table he didn't have a lot of time but he is also a picky eater so we ate things like hamburger helper and spaghetti and chili and and that's kind of like the things that were in the regular rotation and so when my brother and i got old enough to start going out on our own to dinners and meals and and cooking for ourselves we were just wanting to try everything because being raised in in a home where you didn't get to try very many things and, and by somebody who is not an adventurous eater uh, i think tends to lead to that so uh, both my brother and i are crazy ridiculous foodies. Uh, he lives in Denver, but we text each other pictures of food that we've actually cooked or or tried at different restaurants. Is it your sense, Malika, that families today have changed from our parents, our families when we were growing up? Because just like you, we had a rotation. I could tell you what we ate on Sunday. We had leftovers on Monday. Mm-hmm. Tell you what we ate on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday, we either had spaghetti or we were going to have fish. It just all depends. And that was that was just how things were. But of course, there's been story after story, and I know that you know this, that increasingly nobody likes to cook at home anymore. At least very few people cook at home anymore. We all tend to eat out so much more. Are we now exposing our kids to more food varieties and reducing the number of picky eaters among us because of that? I think yes and no. Um, I think kids tend to, or a lot of them tend to want to stick to certain things and they have their likes and their dislikes. And there are a lot of parents out there, they don't want to try to make their kids try different things. I don't have kids myself, but if I did, I would be making them try something at least once because that way when they get older, then they have like a good sense of, of you know, just different things and, and, and they're more well-rounded. 
Um, I think that there's just a lot of parents who just want to give their kids the chicken fingers when they go out to eat, and, and that's it. But then I think that there are a lot of kids also who get exposed to different kinds of cuisine. So I think it's a mix of both. What would you say in between the time that you first did a book on dining in Atlanta and the most recent book that you have out today came out right at the end of November of last year? What's changed about dining out here in our city? Oh, gosh, kind of so much. Oh, you're much right. Has, like, what hasn't changed? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, everything has changed. Um, You know, one of the big things is now we have so many breweries in Atlanta. And five years ago when I wrote my book, we didn't really have that many. There were a couple. A handful, but now we have so many great breweries. So that's one thing that's different. And and what what's so great about that is the restaurants are supporting them. You can go to the restaurants and you find a lot of local brews on tap, which is very nice. Um, and I think as we all know, traffic in Atlanta is horrendous. I I think it's just gotten so much worse in the last year and a half or two years, maybe. We're a big city like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. We have a lot of people, and we have to get around. So right. there you go. Right. So five years ago, I think if you wanted to go have a really nice meal, you thought of going to Buckhead. And that's where all the great restaurants were. And that's where most people would head for a great meal. And I think that because of the traffic, people are kind of stuck in their neighborhoods. I mean, I have friends that live in town, and they're like, nope, if I can't walk to it, at least during the week, I'm not going to go. And I think a lot of people are like that. So that's made a lot of restaurants pop up in neighborhoods. Like we have Inman Park and Old Fourth Ward and neighborhoods like that. And even Decatur is huge now. And five years ago, it just wasn't like that. So I think we see so many fantastic restaurants in these neighborhoods, which is wonderful. Thumbing through the book, I also see that there are a couple of markets in this edition that probably were not in the edition five years ago. Right. So now we have Krog Street Market and Pont City Market, which I love them because, you know, they've taken these old buildings and made them interesting again. And now we have all these amazing food stalls uh, that like a, a similar thing to what they do in Seattle and New York City. So I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I love that. I think that one of the things is people have just gone there and flocked there, and so it's made a couple of the other restaurants that originally started in the neighborhood have to close, unfortunately. So that's that's a little bit sad. Paint the picture for us for some of the listeners who are, are, are tuned in right now who maybe haven't been into the city in a long time or have not had an opportunity to experience uh, the Crog Street Market or the Pont City Market, which is, I guess, the newest one. Give us a, you know, a description of what it's like, what you experience in this refurbished old building that's you know, in the heart of you know, downtown Atlanta. So most of them, or the, the two of them, um, are like they're very open. They're wide open. You can go there, walk around. They have plenty of parking at Ponce. Um, Krog is a little bit challenged with parking, but they're they're wide open. And it's um, if you can imagine, it's almost like a fancy food court is the best way I can describe it. And because like all of the stalls, they're like if you were at the mall. You know how the food courts were in the '90s. You would go and you'd you'd look around and you say, "Oh, do I want the Chinese today, or do I want pizza, or just whatever?" And so it's a little bit like that. Um, we have more unique restaurants in them. We have Mexican. There's barbecue. There's Chinese. Uh, Goose dumplings is amazing. There's um, Batwala, I think is the right pronunciation. That's at, at uh, Pont City Market. That's an Indian place. I love it. Um, there's a seafood restaurant. There's Hops Chicken, which if you like Holman and Finch, if you're a fan of their burger, 
that's there in in Pont City Market. So, you know, just everything that you could want. And and they have these little independent shops, which are really cool. They have um, one that just specializes in uh, uh, ingredients for uh, cocktails, um, dessert places, um, just, you know, just whatever. Uh, it's, it's so cool to just go there and walk around. If somebody's coming from out of town, I would want to take them there. And then, of course, Pont City Market has the rooftop with Skyline Park, and it's like uh, the games, and it's, it's so much fun. Absolutely. What surprises you today about the dining scene here that is different from what surprised you earlier? Um, you know, one of the things, and I think this is smart that restaurants are doing, is that the, their price points and menus are kind of all over the map. And I think that they're doing that for a couple of reasons. One is I think that they want to be appealing to a, a large group of people. Um, you know, the restaurant industry is strapped. It's, it's tough to make a living in that, I know. And, you know, people are still kind of struggling to make ends meet. There are a lot of people that are, but they still want to go out and eat. That's one of the last things that I think people want to give up. And so these price points all over the, the menus allow people to go and have a decent meal. If they want to spend, you know, maybe $20, they can do that. If they want to spend $50 a person, they can do that. And then you have friends at different income levels. They can still all go out and have a good time. Um, I think the other reason, too, that they're doing that is that there's so many dietary restrictions nowadays. You have gluten-free eaters, vegetarian eaters, and so this, this idea of having the menu with, okay, here's your entree, and it comes with these two sides, and you can't change them, I think that was creating problems for the servers and, and making it take longer because they have to go back and ask the kitchen, well, what's included in this? Is this gluten-free? So having that makes it easier. Somebody can just kind of put together their own meal. So I think those two things are, are, are really different. And, and it was difficult writing my book because I tried to – put a price guide in it and it's like well you could eat here for this much or you could eat here for this much it kind of depends on what you order because you know you have the, the snacks and you have share plates and you have entrees and one restaurant I think they have a uh, section called second mortgage plates so <laughs> I think that's Rathbun's actually <laughs> so making a, a, a price point list a little bit of a challenge but I guess not a challenge for you was okay this is our special occasion, these would be the best picks for that. Or it's this time of the year, so these are the places that you might want to go. Talk to us. We're, it's wintertime now. Uh, mm -hmm. Seasonally, what are some of the, the options and recommendations that you would have somebody who wants to dine out for a special event or just because they've got friends in town? What would that be? Places you want to make sure that you see. Oh, gosh. You know, people ask me that all the time. That I'll have a friend say, well, I've got this person in town. Where should I take them? And, you know, it's a, such a difficult decision because everybody has their preference on what they like. Um, again, going back to I really do like uh, the Pont City Market, uh, Crog Street is a great place to take somebody, and it's a good jumping off point. You can go there, walk around, have a snack, have a beer, and then get on the Beltline. Um, like, I know it's winter, but it's 73 degrees today, so... Um, you know, when, when, when we have those warm days, you got to take advantage of them. Um, and, you know, just, gosh, there's so many places. I love um, Poor Calvin's downtown is a fantastic restaurant. Um, they're, they're small. They're indoors. So if it's cold, 
that's okay. Um, there's there's some restaurants that do special cocktails and 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 winter menus. I know there's um, Yabo. It's called Yabo Beach House, mm-hmm. but during the winter they've transitioned to Yabo Ski House, and so oh. they redone them their place like a lodge, a ski lodge. They have uh, winter drinks, so that's one place that I would recommend. I love. Um, I love all their restaurants. Um, they're part of a restaurant group um, with 10 Degrees South, which is South African cuisine. I just ate at Cape Dutch, which is another one of their restaurants. Really phenomenal. So that's definitely something I'd recommend. That so as someone who has made a career out of writing a, a food blog, you've written a book about, about the best places and how to go about eating well in Atlanta. Let me guess, you don't ever have to pay to eat anywhere, do you? Uh, not very often. I'm I'm very lucky about that. I bet your friends love hanging out with you, don't they? <laughs> they do. They love it when my husband says he can't go or he doesn't want to go because uh-huh. they're like, me, 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 pick me. <laughs> Great number of our listeners, Malika, are probably, as we say, OTP, outside of the perimeter. One of the chapters in the book you tell us about, uh, you call it Worth the Drive. So share with us some of your favorite spots that are worth the, worth the drive for dining out in the metro. Right. So with that section, Condice, I wanted to be really cognizant of, you know, the, the amazing restaurants we have ITP inside the perimeter. And really, it, it takes a lot for people to make that drive, not only to leave their neighborhood, but as you know, if you live inside the perimeter, you don't want to leave <laughs> inside the perimeter area. So I really was picky about what I put in there. Um, I, one of the places that I love is called Drift. It's uh, in East Cobb. It's a seafood place. Um, just really unique, special dishes. Um, there's a couple in uh, the north end in uh, Woodstock. I love Vincenzo's. They make excellent pizzas and pastas. Henry's Louisiana Grill. I think that was written up a long time ago as the, one of their dishes worth driving for. It's called the Ulala. They have this pasta and this cream sauce it's so rich and decadent i it, tasso ham is in it and oh my gosh it's i just never had anything like it it's it's amazing and then of course you've got in duluth we have a big korean population and so there's some amazing restaurants up there as well so i've, I've included those in my book too if you like korean barbecue and one of the great things about the metropolitan atlanta area is the fact that our community is so incredibly diverse you probably don't have to drive very far to find any particular international cuisine that you might want to sample. No, and, and of course we have Beaufort Highway. If, if you're willing to be a little bit adventurous. Now, why do you say that, be adventurous, to go out Beaufort Highway? Well, because there's so many of them that the menu might not even be written in English. And you walk in, and you know the good thing about it is you walk in and you see people of that nationality. So when you see that, you know you're in a good place. But it can be a little bit intimidating if you don't kind of know what to order. And so what I did is I put together a whole chapter on Beaufort Highway in the book. That way people can read it and say, okay, well, if I'm adventurous, like, you know, some people might want to eat tripe and some people might not want to eat tripe, which comes in the, the Vietnamese pho, right? So I have tried to list things that are just like, if you're not adventurous, you want a chicken dish, but you want something that tastes good, eat this. If you're more adventurous, try this. We're talking to Malika Bowling, and she is the author of Culinary 
you know, I know I say this word all the time, and now I'm looking at it, and I can't say it, but Culinary Atlanta. It's the guide to the best restaurants, the best markets, the best breweries, and more. Uh, it's an update of something that you've done before. One of the things that I was just overwhelmed, I knew it, but then when you see it laid out in your book, it's fascinating how all year long there are a gazillion food festivals that we can check out. Oh, yeah, because Atlanta has such amazing weather, as I was just saying, that basically starting in March through October, maybe even early November, there's so many amazing food festivals. I think we have Oyster Fest coming up. Um, of course, you have Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, Taste of Atlanta. Taste of Atlanta is in October, which is, like, I think the perfect time to have a food festival. But then, you know, you've got all these other little festivals, the Dogwood Festival. That's not a little festival, but some other ones, the Virginia Highland Festival. Um, I like that they incorporate food, and then a lot of them have tours of homes. I mean, I love just driving around and looking at, at the gorgeous homes in, in these neighborhoods, and some of them open up, and you can go walk around and see them. They've got food trucks. That's a lot of fun. People dress up. They have parades. So, yeah. It's one thing growing up being a little bored with the same old, same old routine and menus for dinner, and another thing to take that boredom, parlay it into a successful blog and column, now into a book. How did you fall into this? Well, I was sort of forced into it. Uh, I was laid off in 2008 from my job, like a lot of other people. And I really thought about, do I want to go back into the corporate world? And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, I really don't want to do that. I, I, I don't want to work for somebody else. And, and if you ask my husband, he tells you, he'll tell you I cannot work for somebody else. He said I don't take direction very well. Um, <laughs> but, but no, I, I love it. I love being independent. And so I had always been, or as, as, since I was about 18, a foodie. And I loved writing. And so those two things, you know, went hand in hand. And I decided that after I was laid off, I would try to do social media marketing and be a social media consultant. And so there were a lot of people at the time that were just throwing up a website and saying, I'm a social media consultant. Well, back in 2008, are you? What, what does that even mean? So I said, you know, I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start a blog about something that I feel passionate about, and I'm going to use social media to drive traffic to it, and that'll be a showcase of my work. And that went extremely well because it, when you write about something that you love or you feel passionate about, it, it comes through. And so it, the blog really started on our date nights, and we go out on Saturday night, and I take out my little point-and-shoot camera, and the flash would go off, and people would turn around and like, what is she doing? Because back in 2008, people were not taking pictures of their food. I, I looked very strange doing that. And so <laughs> you're right. I, I know. I know. People were like, what is she doing? So, you know, it started from there, and, and I have a Hire Me page on my blog, and then some businesses found me, and I, I do some consulting, I do freelance writing, and then three years into it, I was contacted by a publisher. They said, we do these food guidebooks, and we'd like you to write the Atlanta one, and I was like, really? I'm just a blogger. <laughs> you know, I had, I'd only had a couple years You thought that. You said, oh, absolutely. And now let's have this conversation and what are we going to do next? Yeah. Yeah. I said, okay, sure. I'd love to do that. So um, I, I was thrilled because I never really thought I would write a book. And it was an amazing experience. And so it helped me, obviously, to, to make this process of the second book a lot easier. 
I got to tell you, Malika, as I was reading about you to get ready for our conversation today, you know, you go to the About Me page on, on your website where the blog is, and I, I was quite honestly taken aback at how how you have come from such humble beginnings to be such an incredible success. I mean, most people are, are, are struggling to get back up if they get knocked down once. I mean, you say it yourself. You really shouldn't even be here. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. So, yeah, I, I, I owe a lot, obviously, to my parents. Yes, who, you do. Who are my adoptive parents. Uh, the story goes that I was born in India, and I was placed in an orphanage. And I... Um, I, I don't know how that works as, as opposed to here, but I'm sure it's not the same as the United States when, when babies get placed in orphanages. But my parents, who, who are of Indian descent, they were living in the States, and they decided they wanted to adopt an Indian baby. So they reached out to an adoption agency who put them in touch with the orphanage. They decided they wanted to adopt a baby, and the timing was right to get me. But they needed to get all the paperwork to to adopt me legally and bring me back to the United States. And they um, they were doing that process. And my dad said he just had this overwhelming feeling that he couldn't wait any longer. He said, I have to just drop what I'm doing and go to India. And that is so unlike him. He's never like that. He's very pragmatic, very, you know, follow the rules. And so... They went, and when they got to the orphanage, they told them, this baby's going to die. You should choose another one. And they said, no, we're, we're taking this one. And thank God they did, or else I wouldn't be sitting here today with you. And so they were able to nurse me back to health. They, they, I had a private nurse, and I got better, but I still needed to get back to the U.S. And they, the story goes on because... They didn't, they didn't have all the paperwork to bring me back legally into the country. So they pretended like my mom had given birth to me in India. And somehow they were able to get me on the plane and get me back to the U.S. And then when they landed, my dad's friends were waiting with the, the right papers and, and everything was kosher. So. See, sorry you asked me because I, I go into a lot of detail no, about this story. No, I'm not sorry I asked you. I, I'm glad I asked you, and our audience wants to know that as well. I, I wonder what your dad thinks of, of your success today, especially being a foodie at 18 and having just taken something that you were uber passionate about and two books, a column, you speak, you consult. I mean, that's wonderful. Well, thank you. Yes, he is proud. It's funny, though, because growing up, he, he's a writer as well. And I, I never wanted to do that. And he actually discouraged me from doing it. He said, no, you should just go into business, go into like something like marketing and, and get a job. And then, you know, maybe later you can you can start consulting and, and having your own business. And I was like, OK, yeah, I, I never wanted to write or be independent. But I think as you get older, that changes. And then also, of course, seeing how the corporate world is. And so he's thrilled, though, now that I'm sort of followed in his footsteps and, and written a book and, and, and doing consulting. I mean, I'm just, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And that's, I think, the most important that's, thing. And that's what he's always said to both me and my brother. I just want you guys to be happy. That's all our parents want for us, exactly. What do you want folks to get from the book? I want them to go out and try that's new foods mm -hmm. that they wouldn't normally try. And like I said, you know, even if you're intimidated, it's right there in the book. It's like, get this dish, and this is what you can kind of expect from it. 
I just really want people to get out of their rut. I mean, I, you know, living in the burbs, it's so easy to go to a chain restaurant. I want people to go and support the independent restaurants that we have in Atlanta. Those chefs work so hard. We need to go out and support them. Absolutely. Culinary Atlanta, a guide to the best restaurants, markets, food tours, breweries, and more. The author is Malika Bowling. She takes us alphabetically restaurant by restaurant through all of the neighborhoods, the festivals, the markets, from Buckhead to downtown to Midtown to Buford Highway we talked about, Sandy Springs and Dunwoody, and of course all the places that are worth the drive. Malika, if folks want to get the book, find your blog, find out more about you, how do they do that? So they can go to my website, which you mentioned is Romalicious with three eyes, and it's the same on social media for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. And as a special offer, if they want to get the first chapter for free, they can go to my website and sign up for my email list, and they'll get an ebook version of the first chapter. And then if they like it, they can go buy the book on Amazon.com. Malika Bowling, thank you. Congratulations. This is wonderful. Thank you, Condis. Perspectives is a half hour we produce with you in mind. If there's something you think we ought to be talking about, let me hear from you. Tweet me, MyAndalusCondo29 on Twitter, or leave a message on our Facebook page. We do appreciate your listening and hope you'll be back next week at this same time as we examine another perspective.